What's up, Warriors fans? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Warlake here, your host. We've got a great episode planned for you today, bringing in Jillian from the Ethos Kings team, doing a little bit of a crossover episode for today, previewing the first round matchup of the playoffs. That's right, baby. The playoffs are here. The Warriors securing the sixth seed. And we've got a highly contested and controversial first round matchup. So no one better to bring in to talk about this than the King side itself. So should be a very fun, interesting and engaging conversation. Let's get into it. Hey, Jill. Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> okay, perfect. My mic was there and all of a sudden it started blinking. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. It's been a exciting kind of end to uh, this NBA season. What kind of a crazy, crazy race in the uh, bottom half of the Western Conference for sure. Right. It's the first time we actually could just sit back and not not be worrying about the lottery or um, ping pong balls that were going to be falling. <laughs> in a right. Long time. And, and a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting narratives for, for warriors and Kings, you know, first time in NBA history that, that both the warriors and Kings will be in the playoffs at the same playoffs time. Yep. Um, so obviously first time facing each other. Um, a lot of, you know, you got Harrison Barnes, who was drafted by the Warriors, now on the Kings. Mm-hmm. Mike Brown, Leandro Barbosa, just a lot of cool, ex- interesting ex-owner. <laughs> yeah, ex-owner, just a lot of different moving pieces. Um, and, you know, really nice, like, I mean, you guys finished third, kind of like decisive third. There was, like you just said, there was no drama to close out the season. So it's got to feel really good as a Kings fan to end that playoff drought and and just really had like an end-to-end um monster of the season i mean finishing top three in the west when you've got all these teams who at the start of the season you know probably were you know favored like the clippers or the suns or or even dallas and you know and to finish where you guys did and have that consistent play throughout the season i mean that's got to feel really great yeah outside those first four games the kings did not lose uh four games consecutively consecutively again um, whatever happened after those first four, uh, they learned from it. Uh, I know Brown and Sabonis said that they had some conversations about where Sabonis felt like he could be used more in the offense and Brown said, take it away. And they did, <laughs> and they kind of never looked back. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, we, the odds, I know there were Kings fans that bet, I think someone bet $150, $120, something like that for the Kings to win the Pacific Pacific Division. He ended up winning $35,000. That's how crazy the odds were that the Kings were, let alone going to win the Pacific. I always bet on the over, you know, for the, for the Kings of what they assume that the Kings are going to do. This is the first year and many years that the Kings actually got me my money on the over because I think they had him at like 32 wins, which we passed that by a lot. 
And then um, also the odds for them just making the playoffs flat out in general were um, not, you know, that they just were not favored. And so I put money on that. And I mean, so there were a lot of Kings fans that ended up finally winning money where um, we usually do not. And so, yeah, the odds were just crazy. I mean, and even now, right, this this series, the odds makers have it where I think the Kings, it's like the longest shot um, in NBA history that they have them actually winning this series. So um, as Mike Brown says, they're just, you know, they're continuing to prove people wrong. And whether that happens this series, I have no idea. Um, and even if it doesn't, I'm so proud of these guys for the the season they had. Uh, constantly being told, you know, by national types on TV that, you know, they're frauds and they're fake and they're just going to keep coming back down to earth. And they never did, right? They just kept kind of getting better. And even after trade deadline, you know, people kind of made fun of them that the only, you know, player they got was Kessler Edwards and didn't matter <laughs> outside. I think it was like outside of the last six games, maybe available. Um, the Kings had like the best second half in the NBA outside. I think the bucks, um, but the Kings were in a situation the last six games that they were kind of able to rest um, Fox and Sabonis and, Herder had come back from injury. Monk was dealing with some muscle stuff. And so those guys kind of finally got some rest for the first time all year. And it didn't end up hurting them. Uh, I get, you know, they missed out on getting the two seed, but in the grand scheme, they still finished and and did what they wanted to do. So, um, yeah, it was, it was all exciting here. I mean, all that. And we had, I think it was two nationally televised games and we actually had one taken away. So we're the, I, it's got to be the only third seed probably in history that actually has a national game taken away from them to put on a team that, you know, was just in the play-in. So. <laughs> well, certainly hope this is uh, changing that perception and narrative across the league. I mean, it's not like you've got um, a bunch of aging veterans and, and kind of a, a team with a ticking clock. I mean, this, this is a young core. This is a lot of, players just kind of not even entering their prime yet. When you look at like the ages of Fox and Sabonis and Kevin Herter, um, very nice compliment of, of kind of older players, uh, Harrison Barnes, who's not that old, but I mean, he's getting up there in his thirties. So um, hopefully lots of, of more continued success uh, for the Kings. You know, it's always nice to, uh, to root for the, uh, the NorCal teams hundred um, percent. Always had interesting, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, I grew up kind of watching the We Believe Warriors and and even back then the Warriors and Kings, it was like didn't really matter how good either team was that season. It, the the games between the Warriors and Kings, it always was like a coin flip. It was always like I think that franchise records between the two teams were like really close to, uh, to <laughs> yeah. split for just the longest time. Um, they, it just, was, it was, there were so many similarities between the fan bases. I mean, before you guys went on your run, um, it was very similar to kind of when you guys had like your spurts of success, we had our like one eight year span of, you know, success. And then it was bad all around, but yeah, it's crazy that this is the first time both teams are actually 
have ever been good together. Right. Um, which is wild. <laughs> like, which is wild. Yeah. I mean, it's, I remember going down to Oracle um, as a kid, you know, we would, uh, the Kings would put together um, like bus events, right. Where we would, um, it, it, I think it was like 10 to $20 for, to pay for the bus ride and your ticket to go down to Oracle and they'd have buses filled and we go down there. Uh, they called it Arco West, you know, at one point. And I know you guys have had names for, um, for Arco and golden one out here when you guys had your runs, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And then you, you know, you have, there's a lot of people from Sacramento that were Warriors fans before the Kings became a thing, right? Like my dad was. That was the team that was around here. But then once Sacramento got a team, it was like, okay, you know, this this is our, you know, this is our team. And so there's just a lot of ties in different ways, um, you know, even outside of that kind of stuff that that there's people who grew up, um, you know, kind of rooting for those guys until um, the Kings became the thing. Even Even if they weren't good, we still, you know. We accept, we cheer, we still show up and hope that it's the year that it'll change. And this year happened to be the one year, even when everybody said right after the trade last year, you know, what are they doing? And the Kings how, how got does killed. This make sense? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they've done nothing but, you know, prove them wrong. And the big thing there was because you're looking at it at that exact moment, right? It was you're bringing Sabonis to a team full of non-shooters, right? That you're going to pair him with Fox and a team full of non-shooters. Well, that's all Monty did this offseason was make sure he had shooters around him. And so that's kind of, you know, why you have to let those things play out. And, you know, who knows what the long-term thing is? I, I, I wish nothing but the best for, you know, Hallie. We loved him here. But we also embrace the bonus. And he just plays such a fun style of basketball. And it reminds us, you know, they're able to play that play that Princeton style uh, from Pete Carroll that we saw so much of, like the Glory Kings. That there's so many similarities there that, you know, we're not seeing the ISO ball and and things like that. We're seeing that free flow uh, that just makes it fun. And that's one of the the things I think about this series that's going to be so much fun is just how much fun these two offenses are. Right, like that's going to make it at least it should an enjoyable product compared to like what we had to see last night where there were, you know, it felt like 15 to 20 minutes of nobody scoring uh, between the Lakers and the wolves. And so um, if that happens between the Warriors and the Kings, then something has gone, you know, incredibly wrong. Cause that's just not the norm for those two teams. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. Because you didn't know um, going back to the, the Halliburton Sabonis trade, right? You didn't know Mike Brown was going to come in and be the coach that they were going to kind of re- really just redefine the offense and, and, and really take all of that movement off the ball and, and low post passing action, right? Get the ball out of Fox's hands a little bit and allow him to cut and be off the ball. And, you know, a lot of similarities to how the Warriors execute offense with, with uh, Draymond Green and Kevon Looney in the low post entering the ball there and then letting the offense um, run around that and you've got a bunch of shooters spacing out or, or cutting or screening for each other. It's just so much harder to defend. So yeah, really looking forward to um, this kind of 
anti-meta, right? Kind of the, the narrative in the NBA right now is, <laughs> yeah. is a lot of pick and roll iso ball. You've got Luca or KD or Booker, whoever, just going to, you know, um, pound the ball and and create great looks for themselves and, and just a ton of pick and roll to get the mismatches that they want. Um, so certainly expecting to see a lot of that in, in this playoffs overall, but will be really nice to see these two teams kind of come together with these very similar styles that should lead to some very enjoyable, uh, fast paced, high octane, uh, shootouts. hundred percent. It is. Um, it is. And then, and how the warriors, I mean, right. They kill you from three and they've always killed you from three, but the Kings, like while they're a pretty good three point shooting team, most of the time where they kill you is, is in the mid range. They, um, there's only 11 players in the league who shot at least 70% in the restricted area, 50% in the non-restricted paint area, like that floater area, and 40% from actual mid-range with a minimum of 50, uh, 50 attempts. Fox, Sabonis, and Herder were three of those 11 players. Um, and the Kings were able to go 16 and 19 in games where they shot under 35% from the three. So, they found ways to score, you know, and bunches still when their three-point shot wasn't falling. And that's one thing where the Warriors have kind of struggled with. And their um, opponent's field goal percentage in that area, their restricted area of what they allow opponents to, to shoot, they're 22nd in the league. In the floater area, they're 28th, and then in the mid-range, they're 13th. So if the Kings can somehow find a way to exploit that, then at least they'll give themselves a fighting chance. Because, yeah. I mean, you have to figure it's Clay and Curry are going to get theirs. Like that, I mean, that just seems like a no-brainer. So um, if the Kings can find ways to exploit certain areas, then um, that's really going to be their their only fighting shot. Yeah, and the Warriors is just the, uh, you know, a lot of interesting kind of narratives and stories for them this season for as good of the King, as good as the Kings have done throughout the season and kind of being steady at, at kind of the top of the West. You know, the Warriors just, you know, so good at home and then just so putridly awful on the road. And, um, you know, wasn't really until the last 15 or 20 games that their defense really showed up. And, you know, I think a lot of that you can contribute to um, the Warriors getting back uh, GP2, Gary Payton II, um, and and really pivoting away from James Wiseman. Um, and having, right, and having no Wiggins all that time. I mean, that, that hurts because he was such a huge piece of your perimeter. Right. Defending. Yeah. Without, without Andrew Wiggins, you know, Wiggins missing all that time and also had a stretch of games where he was injured earlier in the season for a guy who's, you know, not like Mikhail Bridges, Iron Man, but certainly up there in the top 10 or 15, as far as, you know, career availability um, for a guy that that's still pretty young. So um, a lot of, a lot of issues for the Warriors, um, but it was actually interesting when I looked at their uh, defensive rating in the last 15 games, Warriors are actually seventh. Um, so, you know, I think. Trending in the right direction. Yeah, right. Trending in the right direction. You know, obviously winning some games on the road, which certainly helps. But, um, you know, I also think to an extent that playoff basketball 
is very different than regular season basketball. It's officiated differently. I think, you know, certainly this season there, there seems to be kind of a shift. You can kind of see it in the way that games are called. And I think you can appreciate this a little bit because, you know, I feel like even as a Warriors fan and having gone through, you know, all of those, those victories and, and playoff runs and everything, I still feel like Warriors consistently don't get calls. Um, but I feel like it's yeah, well, I, to I an even think, worse degree as yeah. a Kings fan and especially it, <laughs> watching those Warriors. It and is. Kings yeah. Games. Well, I mean, yeah. And the last time, right. That, you know, we were really in our fighting shot, you know, people consider, you know, one of the worst officiated games, if not the worst officiated game in league history, um, you know, that, that helped prevent the Kings from ever winning that, you know, that first chip against the Lakers. But yeah, I mean, I thought we even kind of saw it last night where, I mean, I don't know if you watched the game, but that game was ex- extremely physical. They were letting them be physical. Fourth quarter comes along. Then all of a sudden the Lakers are in the penalty with nine minutes to go on on plays that they had let go previously. Right. And so I think one of those things you just don't know, and it's been so long for us. Um, being on that side of it that you don't know what you're going to get. And I agree with you that I, I, I think Curry does not get the whistle that, you know, like a LeBron James gets right. Um, And maybe even Luca to, to an extent, I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of times that he goes in like Fox. And I think there's a lot of times that the, both of those guys will be hit and clearly hit and nothing is called on it. Um, And I don't know if it's the style in which they go up, which to me should not matter if you're hit, you're hit. But, um, you know, their build is similar, kind of how they go in is similar. But, um, yeah, there's just, there's something about it. I I, I don't know. And also there but, was that yeah. <laughs> season where it was such a point of emphasis for giving shooters a place to land. And I feel like this season they've really gotten away from that. So I don't yeah. know if they felt like they went overboard and they had to they had to tail it back. But I mean, it's very clear and evident and and more so for the Warriors because they shoot so much. And sure, you know, Jordan Poole flops a lot. So I'm going to put Jordan Poole in his own separate <laughs> category because he tries to seek it out and and and, and overemphasize contact, um, but not in a way that that Curry, you know, there occasionally there are plays where you see Curry sticks his leg out. But I mean, just the place where you need a, sp- a space to land in front of you. And it yeah. seems like they've really gotten away from, from protecting. You know what I did see that that popped up on my timeline earlier that it said that Curry actually did lead the league in um, what was it? Four point plays. Yep. <laughs> that I think there were 11 of them and the Kings were the only team that did not have one. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, and they shoot plenty of three. So, you know, take that for what you will too. That, um, and you, you can even look at it this way. I mean, the last time we played each other in chase, right. It was that whole, um, Kevin Herter three point shot yep. where he got fouled three different times. Um, yep. and the ref swore it didn't happen. And then you have them, you know, we didn't get the tweet of it was a sleepless night for us. <laughs> like, the, like the Lakers did. But, you know, obviously they came out later and said it was, a you know, it was fouled. Um, but my biggest thing, too, is however they're going to call it, I just hope it it's 
at least we can see that things are being called on both ends. Right. I mean, and I know that doesn't always happen. This is how but, you're going to call yeah. it on one side, call it the same way on the other. So they know yeah. how to play. And don't um, insert yourself into the game. Right. Like I, we see that depending on some of these names that we get, we're all waiting to see. And fans agree across the board. I know you, when, as soon as you guys see names, when we see them and it's like, okay, doesn't matter which team it is. This ref is going to find a way to insert himself into the game. It just always happens. Um, so I hope, yeah, I hope that the games are enjoyable and they're fun and we don't have, um, you know, any kind of those like controversial, you know, crap that, that happens. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think it just speaks to a bigger issue for the NBA and I don't think there's really a, ra- a way to address this is the loss of tenured officials. Right. And you can see yep. in these yep. regular season games, how green some of these guys look guys, you know, guys or girls. Um, but, but it's like, you know, you've got people who have been refs for 20 years and they're ready to move on and you got to bring in the new guard, but it, in an era where there's so much emphasis on offense and you've got these marquee players that, you know, kind of have the whistle handed to them a little bit or have found a way to initiate contact pretty consistently where it's like, Oh, I see your arm here. I'm just going to, reach in and throw it up because I know that's going to be called. You get tricked into calling, calling these fouls. Um, so, you know, I think hopefully is, is that um, pool of referees shrinks as you get deeper and deeper into the postseason. that, like you said, right. You just hope that a game doesn't come down to a controversial call um, and that there's consistency on both ends. Um, but I certainly that's, I think that's something that Kings and Warriors fans can can both relate to is kind of being on the the unfortunate (laughs) end of some of these calls where you're just scratching your head um, and you're like, if that was Luca or even Trey Young or LeBron James or Kevin Durant, you know, there's just this laundry list of players. Mm -hmm. No brainer. They'd get that call. Um, So, yeah, yeah, we have a tally of Sabonis leads the league and getting hit in the face with no foul called. and it happens at least five times a game and it's and they're I mean and they're clear right like it's you know I understand that things happen where it's not always noticeable but when you can literally they'll stop the play and you can see it on the replay and they're literally standing right in front of him staring at him as it's happening and it's just like how (laughs) How did they you almost not hold see they it? almost hold it against you for being tough, right? If you're not if you're 100%, not a hundred percent. It's like, ah, you're fine. It's like, no, that really hurt. I'm I'm just not Yeah, you know, he'll I'm get hit in the face. Yeah. And then we'll go to the other side of the court and you know, he'll have a finger on someone and it's like, oh, Sabonis whistle. <laughs> but and that's where you guys can really um take advantage of the kings is if they if the Warriors find a way to get Sabonis in foul trouble. Um, that screams trouble for for Kings and <laughs> being able to to do anything. I think when they when he's on the court, their um offensive rating is like one seventeen, and when he's off, it's like less than one ten. Um, it's just the team is night and day when when he's on compared to when he's off. So I have an interesting question for you because um you know obviously before bringing in Sabonis, you had, or you still have Rashawn Holmes, who had 
that incredible season where he had kind of established himself as this um, pretty elite two-way big. I mean, certainly in fantasy basketball, he was, he was like a top 10 or even better uh, center in fantasy because he was just so efficient. He has got that push shot down on automatic. Um you know, was it just bringing in Sabonis and, and having, you know, kind of more of that big man passing and played more into Mike Brown's style? Did he kind of lose confidence shifting to the bench role? Has he still been effective kind of coming off the bench? And I'm curious to kind of hear his adjustment and if he, you know, you how you how you feel and value him on, on the roster. Today. Yeah, I think it was kind of all of the above. Um, and last year. Outside of the trades things too, he had had um, like he now wears the goggles because he had got hit in the eye multiple times and had to have like a surgery on it um, that that and then he said like he had to learn how to play with the goggles like that took a, you know, um, a learning curve. He also had a lot of personal stuff going um, on off the court that made him not with the team like towards the end of last year and um some of it kind of continued into into this season, but I think it just kind of took a toll on him, honestly, between the trade, the eye, the the personal stuff going on in the background, right? These guys are human. Um, it just never really flowed when when he got that shot at the beginning of the year. And Mike Brown just like went away from it and went to Metu and um it worked for a while with Metu and we, when Sabonis was out, he actually started Holmes and Holmes had a really good game. Um, but then when Sabonis was back, you saw the normal rotation kind of go back. Um, and now like towards the end of the season, we saw Alex Len get thrown out there where he had not played at all, um, all year. And so, we're still kind of waiting to see what Mike Brown does in the playoffs because between we've seen stints of Holmes, we've seen stints of Metu and we have seen stints of Alex Len. Um, and at this point we're kind of waiting to see like you guys who he ends up going with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an unfortunate thing to see it happen with Holmes just because of how dominant he kind of was here. But um, it just became a different kind of, like you said, it became a different kind of offense and it just never really flowed. Um, he never really looked like himself and we're still kind of waiting, um, to see that out of him. and maybe another off season will, will help him kind of, you know, in a year, you know, away from, you know, all the stuff that was going on with him, you know, if that can kind of help him get back to, to where he was. Um, I'm hoping so. We, a lot of us thought that he would be traded or at least a possible trade piece, but I know his contract with, while not playing has made it kind of difficult, but most of us as Kings fans, like if he's not going to play here, we want to see him, you know, go thrive somewhere else just because he has been such a good player here and a stand-up guy, you know, has never complained publicly about anything that's going on um, and has done nothing but praise the team and Brown and the togetherness of this team that, you know, you just appreciate players like that because we've had so many um, that when their roles change, 
they don't stay, you know, necessarily professional like that. It gets kind of ugly and then, um, you know, leads to kind of the toxicity in the locker room. And that just never happened. Yeah. Yeah. And some interesting insight there. And I know uh, Matsu played under uh, Mike Brown. Was it in the Nigerian league? He did. Um, so we yep. had some familiarity with him there. It'll be interesting. Like you said, it'll be interesting to see what Mike Brown does. I think Metu maybe matches up a little bit better with, with Draymond and Looney for his size. He's a little bit more of that tweener forward center type of type of player. He certainly has seemed to been like a permanent monster when he's played against the Warriors. He just comes in and, and does a whole lot uh, real quick. Um, just very active. So, but yeah, hope, hope for Rashawn Holmes, you know, if it's not with the Kings, he, he gets a, a home somewhere else. Cause he's such a workhorse. He's so efficient so good in, in the restricted area with that put shot. Um, great defensively. Um, so. We'll yeah. He's hit a couple of threes for us this year too, when he's playing. Yeah, he, he did he that in the that last game. Push, the last yeah, match that push three point shot. <laughs> like knuckleball. Yep. Um, I guess I'll also be interested to see uh, Harrison Barnes, how he does kind of uh, his his opportunity for some redemption, the Black Falcon. I'm sure, you know, Warriors fans, um, you know, are never going to really forgive Harrison Barnes for his one unfortunate series, you know, final series. We just couldn't hit a wide open three for his life. You know, he went like three for 25 in a series or something like that. So, um, you know, that what's interesting, I think, for for Barnes is, is he's in a really great spot for the Kings because he doesn't necessarily need to be a big scorer right you've got so many other options um but he can certainly get hot i know he is a little um underwhelming at the start of the season but seems like the last month or so he really kind of came on and, and got back into his kind of career what you know his career average is what you'd expect from him being a you know pretty decent three-point shooter has the ability to drive he's got some mid-range um, he's always been a fairly reliable, reliable score, um, an option, but, you know, it would be nice for him after so many years of, of uh, you know, winning a championship with the Warriors to have another opportunity to be in the playoffs and, and kind of prove some, prove some people wrong. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, one thing with Harrison here is, I mean, he's been nothing but a professional here this whole time. And so I'm excited that even though that it's his last year here, at least on contract wise, because I'd love to see him back, that he's finally getting that playoff opportunity here again. But he's our one constant that if things are going wrong with the Kings, you can rely on Harrison going to the rim and getting to the free throw line. Sorry, I was coughing, so I'm trying to... <laughs> no, you're good. Um... I was trying to, to block it, but... No, between him and Sabonis, where if, if things are going wrong with the Kings and Sabonis and Harrison are on the court, you can throw it into Sabonis, you know, in the paint, or you can give it to Barnes. And like I said, he'll find a way to um, to take it to the rim, get a, uh, get a foul call, and kind of just calm things down. And for, you know, a team that is needed, you know, that kind of leadership on the court that like someone can do that and just, you know, kind of slow things down and, and calm it down um, has been extremely huge for this group. And according to Mike Brown, um, I would think it's no surprise that he just says that people don't realize enough what Harrison Barnes means to this team and this group 
on and off the court. So, yeah, I mean, if there's any kind of way that, uh, you know, he can show out for himself, I'd love that for him. Yeah, you need Because he's just such a good dude. Like, he's just a good guy. You need those guys who just fill in the gaps, you know, don't need to be, don't need their hand held. They're not going to cry about how many shots they get up. They're going to play hard no matter what on both ends of the floor. You need those kind of veteran guys to fill in the, those veteran role players to fill in the gaps. Right. I mean, warriors know that all too well from this season, they, you know, let didn't resign GP two or Otto Porter jr. They didn't bring back Damian Lee or Juan Toscano Anderson. They lean into all of this youth. And then, you know, the first 10 games go by, it looks like Jonathan Kaminga is unplayable. Moses Moody's out of the rotation. James Wiseman, you know, hasn't taken a step forward. And it's like, yeah, you've got, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and Looney <clears throat> that have the best, you know, whatever net rating for um, a starting lineup in the league. But then after that, you've got nothing. Um, and obviously, DiVincenzo was a really big piece to bring in. Jamichael Green has had his moments. Um, but then it's so interesting. You just bring back like one player, GP2, and, and all of a sudden you get that one extra veteran guy who can play within the system that that knows what to do and it just seems to everything just seems to all the issues that they were experiencing just have seemed to fade away um a little bit as as the season's kind of closed out so um certainly can't understate the importance of those guys that um don't need the ball in the hands they're not counting how many shots they get they're not gonna they don't need extra attention from the coach. They're going to be a great guy to have in the locker room, keep morale up. They they know in the moment when, you know, the team's like you just said, when the team's going through something and you need to just put your head down and get to the basket and get fouled, get to the free throw line. Um, really important to have those, those uh, very solid role players to help round out your roster if you're looking to have success in the postseason. Yeah, there's kind of those glue pieces, right? The, the underappreciated glue pieces <laughs> definitely um yeah and so what do you guys what do you, how do you kind of rate your your younger players like you mentioned how people were in and out of rotations i mean ba- like for the most part for the kings their you know top eight nine have been pretty pretty consistent you know outside of you know an injury changing things but like, do you think the Warriors are are pretty much set in what they think, um, and what, or at least in what you think they're going to be using? Well, I think one thing is what Steve Kerr's perspective going into this playoff, into this postseason, and then what does the front office think, and what does the front office want? Because very clearly, yeah, that's um, from coming off of winning a championship, the front office decided that they would like to de- to, st- <laughs> to free up opportunity to further develop Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman, and then draft three more guys, Ryan Rawlings, Patrick Baldwin Jr., and Lester Quinones, who's currently on a two-way, but at the time was just playing for the Santa Cruz Warriors, the C-dubs. Um, and so, you know, I think Kaminga had his ups and downs throughout the season, but things have really clicked for him in the last 20 games or so. And I think he is turned into a difference maker when he's on the floor. That doesn't mean that he can't um, kind of be played out or played off the floor. If, if he 
you know, is kind of baited into shooting threes and they don't go in and he doesn't get a full head of steam to get downhill and get to the rim, that kind of stymies his offense. And then, you know, because he's a young player, that also impacts him on the defensive end. But he is a uh, very talented, athletic, you know, if not the most athletic player on the Warriors roster today. Um, Moses Moody, I've really liked his his game. And I think he has a ton of potential. He's just a little bit buried in the depth chart and he's had trouble um, fulfilling the role that the Warriors thought he'd be able to fill coming into the season, which was kind of the GP2 role, which was to be that point of attack defender, kind of ball hounder, and then spot up shooter from the corner. Um, He really struggled to be that kind of guard the other team's best guard player and so because of that, he was really played off the floor. And then he he had some poor decision-making, you know, that like 0.5 seconds or less that Steve Kerr wants. Um, he would right. get himself into a lot of trouble and, you know, dribble it into the, into the corner and turn it over. And Kerr would just kind of yank him out. So, yeah. Um, and you know, what's, in- you know, what's interesting is so many Kings fans were on the Moses Moody train, right? In the draft and uh-huh. thought that he would be the draft pick over Davion Mitchell. And you just describing what got him off the court is what has kept Davion Mitchell on the court, right, with the Kings. And so, yeah, it always just makes me wonder if if that would have happened had Moody been, you know, been here. Um, so it's just interesting hearing, yeah, hearing you say that because as undersized as Davion is, like they still throw him out there on, you know regardless of the player and and he becomes that kind of like gp2 that you were talking of um go hound you know who you need to hound yeah go pick up full court get in them yeah yeah totally um moody's had some like pretty incredible explosive highlights though that have just keep me intrigued like there was a play uh maybe it was against okc where it was like the warriors were shooting a free throw and missed and around three three thunder players he raised up and got the ball and then no dribble just goes right up and dunks and dunked it um so he he's definitely got some athleticism i see a lot of um kind of reminds me a little bit of jason richardson with just those the explosiveness okay. yeah. so yeah. i've seen that that's when i saw that as a rookie too and i thought man this guy can play but i think he just needs a little bit of time i mean steve kerr's old school right so they're he really too. he they're really young. makes these yeah. guys work and earn it and and really have to figure it out and and moody's been really mature he you know he said they've asked him like how do you feel you're not you're in and out of the rotation you're kind of at the edge and he's like I chose to to come to the NBA after one year. I knew what that meant. Like I could have stayed in college longer if I wanted to get more, you know, more playing time, but I I wanted to develop in the NBA. So, you know, he says all the right things and and um, you know, but I think the Warriors are going to be faced with a very interesting decision with this offseason directionally with all these young pieces and depending on, you know, how their their postseason goes, you've got the GM's contract, uh, Bob Myers up in the air. You've got Draymond Green with the player option. Um, just, you know, this this could go in in many different ways with all these young, these young pieces. But um, you've got that core, right? Going back to your original question, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, and Jordan Poole, um, GP2. So that's the seven that won last year. And then you've got DiVincenzo. Yeah. 
Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo, who's been absolutely incredible. I know he, you know, Kings Kings had him last year. He unfortunately mm-hmm. wasn't really at 100%. Didn't seem like he really hit his stride until the end of the season. Um, we certainly <laughs> are are happy, you know, that we were able to to swoop him and because he's been instrumental in, in filling the gaps sure. while we've missed Andrew Wiggins for all this time. Um, and then Jonathan Kaminga and then, you know, maybe situationally Jamichael Green, but I think, um, I think with how Moses Moody's played as of late, uh, you think you probably just lean young, uh, lean small, then go to Jamichael Green, unless you've got Draymond and Looney that are really in foul trouble and you just need someone to come in and, and soak up some fouls. Yeah. Um, and Warriors I think play I'm- super small. Yeah, I think had Dante been traded here this year rather than last, things probably would have worked out differently. But a lot of the contention that ended up happening was, right, he felt like he should start, you know, on a bad team. Mm -hmm. Well, you can see he's fine coming off the bench on a good team. And so I just, I think that it was, you know, maybe one year too early because it was someone that Monty coveted, right? That was who he tried to trade when, um, you know, when the Bucks tried to sign Bogdanovich before that whole, you know, tampering, yes, you know, that yeah. whole thing came through <laughs> was so, I mean, that's a player that, you know, he's coveted and he fits like the archetype that Monty has looked for. And so, um, you know, getting, having Herder and Monk like that would have created, you know, a similar, you know, type of situation, uh, you know, of just a log jam kind of thing. But I definitely think he could have fit in here this year. Um, it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate how it played out, but I do think that, you know, had, had for some reason that trade, you know, been held off a year and happened this year, I, you know, I think it, you probably would have, um, things turn out a little bit differently, but you know, like I'm happy for him that, that it's worked out, you know, for him. I always, you know, for any player like that, um, you know, you wish the best for. And uh, I mean, the warrior, I hope the Warriors can retain him, but he's certainly outplayed the MLE that that we signed him on. Yeah, and that was kind of his thing, right? He, go prove it again on a good team. And, you know, he's hoping to get that bigger deal again, too, I would assume. But so it'll be interesting. So do you feel like. Um, how do you feel about having to face the Warriors in the first round? Was there potentially you know I, know I know you mentioned maybe trying to climb into into the second seed and then you know hindsight 2020 but you'd be matching up against the lakers was there kind of a matchup yeah i think most that, people that were hoping the, the clippers West? okay i think most people were hoping the clippers just knowing that you know george wasn't going to be um coming back and i and i felt that the probably the media attention that we were going to get probably would be a little bit different going against the Clippers than it would be going against the Warriors. Um, You know, some people, you know, think we might've had a shot against them rather than having no shot. I think I've seen like two people say that the Kings have a shot. Um, But yeah, no, I, I do think that, you know, but the Kings would probably be playing on NBA TV right now instead of ABC and TNT had they been playing, um, the clipper. So, you know, kind of my thing is if you're going to le- lose, at least lose respectfully and, and prove to everybody that, you know, what the crap they were talking about you all year, was it the case? Um, you know, and maybe things can start, you know, keep going in that direction for next year, you know, um, showing that Mike Brown is, you know, turning these things around and, 
putting the Kings more on TV again and, you know, having, you know, more players possibly interested in coming out here. We, uh, we fully understand as a process. Um, and I'm sure a lot of your fans probably kind of, you know, relate to it back in the, um, the, we believe days, I, you know, if that was that, that slogan, I believe, um, for you guys back there that, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, David you know when Lee, it kind of all right? started, that, that, right? That, uh, and, yeah, David David yeah. Lee trade from New York was like the first real good player that we yeah, were able this... to land, and it was like, wow, we could get this guy. And sure, we didn't, you know, we had a good offense, but we didn't. That didn't lead to like a lot of wins or anything like that. But it was like that mentality shift, right? And I think Sabonis does that. You get yeah. kind of this marquee player, you start to build and add yep. around it. You you get it, you get exciting on offense, you get a good coach. It's a you know, you're playing basketball the right way. You're starting to really build something, change the culture, change the perception. And of course in the national media, because there's all narratives and things, even for the Warriors deal with that, obviously it's a little bit more noise when, when you've had the success that, th- that they've had over the last eight years or so. But um, it, it is like you just said, a process to start to change um, the narrative and, and change it by the product that you're putting out on the floor, regardless of what um, people in the national media are saying. At the end uh, of the day, 100%. we finish third, right? You can say whatever you want, but our record speaks, speaks to itself. Yeah. And they did that. And it's like, you can see as a GM, like, okay, I made, you know, I made one good move. Great. But it's, it's putting together those continuous moves. And so far, Monty has done that, right? He made the Sabonis trade, hired Mike Brown, traded for Kevin Herter, drafted Keegan Murray, signed Malik Monk, um, you know, found really good buy low options in Trey Lyles, Kessler Edwards, uh, Terrence Davis, um, that is just, and it very much reminds us also, like I know I brought up your guys's, um, you know, when you kind of start had the turn, but in 99, right, in the 98 year, the year uh, 1998 is when the Kings traded for Chris Weber. That next year, that 99 year is when you saw um, Jeff Petrie start making more moves. So you had Chris Weber, you got Vladi Divac, he drafted Paige Stoyakovich. Like there was a, it, then it was you drafted Jason Williams. Like there was a continuous um, build, and it was that '99 year they lost to the Jazz that first round, right? But it got you know the monkey kind of so to speak off their back, mm-hmm. and so and and Rick Adelman was considered a retread higher at the time. You know we found the old articles, um, same age as Mike Brown was called a retread. It had been 16 years since this team had, you know, done anything. Literally a repeat of Mike Brown, same age, been 16 years. He was called the retread. Like there's just so many similarities between that 99 start turnaround and this year. And so if they can kind of, you know, replicate that and just the continuing, you know, the positive moves going forward, Fans can handle, you know, losing to the Warriors in the first round. Like, they're the defending champions, right? We would love to be the team that finally knocks them out, but we also fully understand that that is extremely tall ask. Um, And so, like I said, just the fact if they can show up 
and, you know, continue to show what made them so much fun this year, uh, you know, to me, that's that's a win. And I know um, plenty of fans, you know, are like, you don't get the participation trophies. But, you know, when it, you've been 16 years outside of the playoffs and you're just trying to get your foot back in the door, sometimes that's the first step for you. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, especially in a league where there's so much polarity. You've got the teams at the top that are trying to win it. And the teams that, you know, it's a race to the bottom for the one Banya sweepstakes and, and just trying to get ping pong balls. Um, you know, thankfully they've, they've kind of leveled it out a little bit where it's like the bottom three teams have the same odds, but um, there's not a lot of teams in the middle and I'm not suggesting the Kings are in the middle because they finished third in the West, but certainly coming into the season, right. I think they were, Oh, they were, they were predicted, more, uh, you know, I hope you make the play in that was, they were a, a team where it was like, let's try and make the play in. I mean, hundred percent, like no where, one was expected. Where, um, no one was expecting them to do what they did at all. hundred uh, percent. You can see where like culture and continuity and coaching style meeting talent and everyone kind of buying into the system means so much more and then you look across you look around the league or even in the west other teams like the dallas mavericks where you've got this marquee player in luca and, and they make a big a big splash for you know for Kyrie at the trade deadline and they don't even make the play in um and this is the team that was coming off right, the western you know right. western conference finals um the year before so yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, you have to you have to build on things. It's a process. It takes time. And, you know, it doesn't come easy. Warriors, you know, went through this the same when with when they, you know, in their journey and and with Mark Jackson and losing to the Clippers um, early on and in their early postseason runs and, you know, the, getting Andre Iguodala and, and feeling like that, you know, getting that kind of marquee free, you know, name changing free agent that really kind of um shifted things and enabled them to take the next step forward and so yeah you, you know you finish with the third seed and who knows you know what that leads to in the off season and and moving forward as players look for other situations and they're going to look at the kings and say that's a place i want to play i want to play with uh with mike brown and his system i want to play next to fox and sabonis and and get in on all the action because that offense is um is a lot of fun and, and very potent um so. yeah and you even saw it to the set where like you know people were you know telling kevin herter i'm sorry you know you just got traded to basketball hell right like that you know you just came from a a playoff team in the east and now you're going to to a team with this drought you know um but he's had so many convos about how you know this has kind of turned his career around and, and how people see him um, as being more of a complete player, you know, and being able to do more things and being a part of this turnaround and um, seeing how much it means um, to the city and how much of an impact he's been able to, to have on it, that it's just a totally different experience for him than, you know, what he had had, you know, in, in Atlanta. And so it's, it's cool to hear, you know, players with that perspective and even Sabonis, right. Um, you know, you just got traded to the Kings and 
now you're tasked with trying to <laughs> trying to turn the the franchise around and you know he they've all bought in and they they did exactly what they said they were going to do and that's not an easy thing as you know everybody knows in Sacramento that there's only been you know like three teams that have ever you know individually done it you know with those core groups so and it's um, just funny because because us as and fans, you're loved for life like you will have <laughs> that's why we still have Brad Miller here all the time sitting courtside and in the lounges and just walking around with everybody like you know Bobby Jackson's still here Doug Christie's here when you're a part of those groups you will want for nothing in the city ever again. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're welcome for everything. Um, and, and it's so, it's so funny because like the average fan, like what do they know? Cause you look at Atlanta now, Trey Young's burned through how many head coaches and, and, you know, I, I know Atlanta beat um, Miami in the play in, but that certainly doesn't look like a, a franchise that, you know, looks like a, a nice place to play without a doubt with all the drama that that's gone on over there. So um, it's, it's so easy at face value to judge some of these moves that, that GMs are making, but these things take time and you don't really know how it's going to play out. So you've given it a chance. And, and sometimes we're not able to, to fully process or see, you know, the impact of, of something. We just kind of have this knee jerk reaction, like what are they doing trading Halliburton and, should have traded Fox and Sabonis. How's that going to fit? These guys can't shoot. And it's like, hold on. They've got, they've got a direction here and you bring in the right personnel and you just completely retool everything. And then the players that you bring in start to, you know, have this um, improvement and career trajectory. And now all of a sudden Kevin Herter's this, you know, legitimate uh, shooting guard that that's very proficient from three and, um, you know, it just ends up being great for everyone. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be like, when everything doesn't have to be winners and losers. Like Halliburton can succeed in Indiana and Sabonis can flourish in Sacramento and Herter can, you know, move over and, and get opportunity as well. Um, but we're just so, I think, so focused on like rating things and that was good or that was bad or um, this makes sense and that doesn't. And sometimes you just don't know. And you just got to let let the players, you know, play the game and and let the results speak for itself. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. And just certain certain players work better in certain system. You know what I mean? Like you just, yep. like I said, you never know. You never know. And so, um, yeah, yeah. There's why well, that's why I'm never usually a fan of the the hot takes. I like to watch it play out. Right. Exactly. So any kind of closing thoughts here as uh, we're gearing up first round matchup on Saturday? Um, do you have a preference kind of like, you know, it's great when you've got the home court advantage, right? But does it put a little bit more pressure on the home team to take care of business at the road? Whereas you're the road team and you're like, well, we can drop the first one or there's not a lot of pressure on us, you know, less pressure on the road team versus more pressure on the home team. Yeah. Oh, I think there's definite pressure that they, they have to at least get one of these. Otherwise it could go downhill quickly. Um, if they don't, but you know, and just if they could pull off getting a game one win, you know, with as crazy as this place is going to be. And as much as people are spending, um, to finally be able to see a playoff game, uh, 
it would be a pretty cool story, especially after, you know, not getting the one against Minnesota clinching at home. Um, and a lot of players, you know, regretted how that played out that if they could find a way to, to steal game one, I think that would, um, go a long way confidence wise, as Draymond said in his podcast, right? Like they don't want to give, you know, a young team confidence. And I totally yeah. understand where he's coming from with that. Um, and in the same sense where if you can get golden one center crazy, you know, by, by getting one of those, um, it could, it could go a long way. And I mean, and to keep trying, you know, to have the Warriors struggling on the road, you know, would be huge, yep. even though it's not like it's a far road trip, it's still on the road. So, you know, if they can find a way to, to tap into that, um, because it's so crazy that the Kings, you know, as crazy as our place has been, the Kings have been better on the road than they've been at home. But one of my theories on that, just based on me being able to see, um, you know, opposing players' reactions and things like that to when our place gets crazy, like you can tell they feed off of it and they get into it. So as good as it is that we go crazy, it also sometimes has a um, an effect, you know, that, you know, can hurt you um, when the other players get up for it as well. But you know what I mean? It's, it's enjoyable, you know, regardless. So, um, but I do think the big thing is, is at least trying to get one at home, at least try and get one at home. And everyone's more or less healthy, right? For the Kings, you guys don't have any, Yes, you mentioned you got some yeah. end of the season rest. Yeah. So yeah, that's another thing I didn't really mention. It'll be interesting to see, you know, Andrew Wiggins is expected to be available for game one. You know, they said he's looked fantastic in scrimmages. Obviously, it's not like he's been hurt the last 20 games, but it's a long time to have not gotten NBA action. And what does that do to the rotation? Like I just had kind of mentioned the Warriors in the last 15 games have been one of the better teams in the league. So now you bring back Wiggins, who in theory should, you know, you know, he was a big part of that huge net rating five-man lineup but how does that adjust and change and tinker rotations and you know it'll be interesting to see how much does he play does he start does there does that kind of change things is the shot not falling is he a step slow um so certainly good i think as warriors fans to get wiggins back um you know, I cert- it's I don't very think- reminiscent for Kings fans on when Chris Weber came back in the same kind of situation, except his was from injury. Mm-hmm. But the team just the team never really got in a flow. Like it, it's just one of those things where had he come back a little bit quicker, I think things could have changed because that was really like their last one where you thought that you know that group had the shot at, um, of it. And they all said afterwards that it was just one of those things where they just didn't have enough time to to get back in their groove altogether. Yeah. Yep. You don't you don't always expect it, but the crazy things like that can can have a difference. So yeah, um, like you said, it it'll be interesting to see if it has any kind of impact. All right, Jill, I think that's all I got for you. It was really great having you on the show today. It's always nice when we can kind of do these cross-team episodes yep. and, and kind of come into this. Um, you know, like we were talking about a lot of really nice parallels and storylines for the Warriors and Kings that over their 
long franchises with a lot of struggles and but nice that we're you know both kind of here in the spotlight at the same time and uh you know hopefully you know both of our both of our teams continue to kind of flourish and have success in the future yep no 100 percent. and if there's any way that we can uh find time during the uh you know during the series um we can try and do that too um, yep and i already any, know dis- any, disclaimer warriors warriors twitter can be incredibly toxic i know with the grizzlies last <laughs> last year it, it got pretty out of hand um i certainly try to to stay away from getting into it with people but i know that you know I've already seen a little bit of it um, in passing. It, it's just unfortunately the the what Twitter's turned into today. People just it, yeah go on the app it, to just start to just start firestorms, and it, it just it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I get. It. I've been trying to to stay away from it too, but I also warn people too that it's been 17 years for Kings fans to be able to like legitimately say anything, and yeah. so <laughs> they're they're out in full force, good and bad. Um, that you know I regardless I try and stay away from you know the toxic stuff I'd rather you know have people just talk about actual basketball but like you said it's Twitter you know and that's just part of today's um society and you know being a a fan and a sport on there but yeah I'm with you I try and kind of stay away from it (laughs) as much as I can all righty all right have a good one Sam thank you you too